Well, hello and welcome to the London Coronavirus Podcast, the only daily coronavirus podcast in the business. And on each and every episode, we really do attempt to try and find a fair balance between optimism, humour and, of course, a a healthy appreciation of what just a sizable and serious shift this is in everyone's daily life. On the pod today, we had a very charming quarantine tale. We had a short but sweet coronavirus confession. We had a global update from Poland and plenty more besides. Alongside me today, Mr. James Ware. Happy Monday, mate. James, at times that felt like a Monday kind of podcast, but we got through it together and we're better men for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think for everybody around London and the UK today. It's been a Monday which has been so distinct that it almost requires Bob Geldof to write a new version of Tell Me Why I Don't Like This Monday about this specific (laughs) Monday. I don't think Mondays in general would cut it. It has been super strange, hasn't it? I feel today, as we reflect on throughout the podcast, the realisation has really hit home that for the time being, this strange new life we find ourselves in is our lives. And we've got to try to adapt to that all as best as we can. But my day was very much brightened by the features we had on the show today. The quarantine dream was great. A confession that I think we can all associate with And also checking in with some news out of Argentina, where you were living until recently, Dave, which you had some really interesting insight on. Yeah, listen, I've always got time to talk about the uh, the dogs that roam around Argentina and the the crazy dog walkers. And yeah, listen, listen for the pod because there's uh, there's a good nugget on that. Right. We're here every day on the London Coronavirus podcast. Enjoy the pod. Podcast 7, but this is actually the very first Monday that we've recorded the London Coronavirus Podcast, and I just wanted to start today, mate, with a nod towards something that felt blissfully different for me this morning, and I, as you know, actually, I live underneath the flight path of Heathrow Airport, which is the biggest airport in Europe, but to be honest, I mean, I reckon, what, nearly a third, a half of Londoners live under that flight path, because it covers really a lot of South and West London, and uh, I remember... I really vividly remember actually my first morning in this flat uh, just over six years ago now. And the planes take off at 6am on the dot. So at 10 seconds past six, there was this roaring overhead. And because I sleep with the skylight open, I just heard this massive noise over the top of my flat and I sat bolt upright. So on my first morning in the flat and listen, uh, over the fullness of time, I think a lot of Londoners uh, get used to that noise and it just becomes white noise really in the end. But this morning was... The first time since I moved into this flat that I haven't heard those aeroplanes overhead. Because, of course, all the airlines, James, are running at like 1% capacity now globally, right? And it just, it got me thinking that perhaps there is, there is a little bit of peace to be found in this brave new world. Yeah, it does feel like that, doesn't it? When I have been outside... I almost feel like the animals are taking over again. You go out into the street and like it feels like the pigeons have really decided to reclaim their pigeon pavement. <laughs> it's not just the plates, but it sounds like a decent setup normally, Dave. You've got your own personalised alarm call right there. I'm pleased that you managed to wake up to record this in spite of being denied that service. But 
I can really feel today that it's our first Monday on the podcast. There was something of a feeling that in the build-up. And in some ways, I think this has been the most Monday Monday ever in my lifetime (laughs) almost. Because really, I'm getting the feeling that everyone today has come into this week. And last week, it was a very live situation, wasn't it? All week. Mm, It felt like to some extent, all of us were just operating on instinct, certainly at points in the week. It was an extreme sport of a week. (laughs) And it was shocking. It was disorientating. It was scary at times. But there was quite a large side serving of adrenaline, I think, thrown in with that. <laughs> Definitely. And today, we've woken up in this new week. We've woken up in this new world to go with the new week. And I feel it's only just sinking in what this is actually going to be like. And that it is just indefinite for the time being. That's the fact of the matter. So there's not a cutoff point that we can see clearly yet. This, for now, is life. And I feel that everyone in their own way that I spoke to today is coming to terms with that realisation. And perhaps there was no better way of summing this up than the fact that today it was announced that both Nando's and Greg's are closing. I mean, if ever there was something that was going to make this news hit home to Brits, I think that's it. The two most cult British eateries calling it a day, even for takeaway. And I also have that experience earlier when I was taking a stroll and was like, I need some fresh air. Went for a stroll, went for a coffee on my way through. And I dropped into one of the coffee shops that's still open. And they were enforcing the strictest measures I've seen for social distancing in a coffee shop and good on them for doing that they have Mm. the taped off area for ordering and you're only allowed to enter the taped off area to tap your contactless card to pay once the barista has moved away so that you're not even like breaching the two meters in that interaction so it, it, it's almost like a kind of synchronized dance, actually, the order. It was quite beautiful, like some kind of like drama school exercise. But like I started moving forwards, they started moving backwards. And then when they make your coffee, they come round the back and put it in another taped off area that's the contactless pickup zone. And then you're not allowed in there till after they're out either. It's a real one in one out policy in the areas of this coffee shop. But again, there was saying about that. I feel like last week, these changes were still fresh enough that you couldn't quite figure them into being normal life. Whereas today, I was like, well, until they close coffee shops, that is what getting a coffee's going to be like. Like, forget years ago when it looked like it was going whichever way it would with technology. It's this weird kind of human vending machine experience almost. (laughs) And yeah, I've had a really uncanny experience of the day that has just made me realise that for the time being, this is life. And we're all trying to figure out what the flip that life 
is going to look and feel like. Yeah, mate, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head with just the indefinite nature of it all. You know, if we were told in six months, 100%, everything goes back to quote-unquote normal, then maybe there'd be a different feel. But it is, I think, definitely from being out and about a little bit in London today, uh, it just it feels like it's just this this thing is sinking in now that this, exactly, this is the new reality that we find ourselves in. And just to see shops and businesses and things just calibrated to that fact, like the coffee shop that you just mentioned, is is, is not that shocking. Like, it's just, it, you know, you mentioned you were kind of appreciative that they were doing that, and they are in sync with the government guidelines. And James, look, this is this is where we are. This is where we're at. We don't know... We don't know when it's going to end, and I actually think it's really dangerous to to cast any kind of prediction or time scale on it ending because I don't I don't think we should be over ambitious or over negative in the, in that element. So, but uh, listen, however long it goes for, we we got to stay positive, man. Absolutely, and given that we're entering week two now, people are becoming ever more inventive with their ways of keeping themselves amused. Now, I think we all had a little stock mental list of a few things that we'd like to do if ever we had several consecutive rainy days, a kind of torrent of rainy days, if you will. But everyone's kind of exhausted those now, so we're really having to get creative with it. And that leads us beautifully into our feature, Living the Quarren Dream, where we hear (laughs) how people are finding new ways to entertain themselves whilst they are stuck indoors. I saw a very on-point meme dealing with exactly this topic today, which simply said, quarantine memes, they're just inside jokes. I'll leave you to work on the drum roll sound effect for that one. But here we are with our rolling inside joke that is living the quarantine dream, which today comes to us from France. London Coronavirus Podcast, living the quarantine. Hi, I'm Harriet, I'm in Toulouse, and this is how I've been living up the quarantine dream. Because I'm on a work succumb and I'm living alone and I haven't seen another human to speak to since last Saturday. So I've taken up some pretty new habits. Like I've never been a baker and I don't have any scales, a sieve, a baking tray or a whisk. But I baked some brownies and I kind of worked out how to do it by marking the lines on the ingredient packages halfway and then like working backwards till whatever amount that I wanted. The brownies are a little flowery and it took me about half an hour to thicken the eggs and I had to have loads of breaks for my hands, but it's still pretty good. Um, I also got caught out by the sun restrictions imposed in France, so I don't have any gym equipment with me. So I've been using cans of kidney beans as weights. Um, I have to work out kind of like away from any windows so that none of my neighbours think that I'm crazy, but um, it's still better than nothing. Hope everyone's keeping well. So that was Harriet James, and I, I really enjoyed that one. I, I liked her honesty when she just said, look, I haven't seen another human being since last Saturday. It was very matter-of-fact, that's the situation. And it, it almost opened the door for a bit of competitive isolation, which, which could be a dangerous game, but nonetheless. But I really, what I liked about that and what I've just seen across the board, really, is people's creativity. And some of it's been mind-boggling, hasn't it? In terms of how people have adapted to the situation and made the best of a situation and come up with really, uh, really clever alternatives. Our lives seem to have become 
a never-ending improv comedy class at the moment. It is just work <laughs> with what you have, isn't it? And I like the idea that even out in France, there's this kind of great British bake-off on tour going on without <laughs> using the tools. It really is just work with what you have. And I, to be honest, think that sounds like a more appealing baking methodology to me. I don't want to get too technical. I think that could catch on. She might actually not just have made some brownies, but made a business out of that. Weight-free baking. But I know that you were also having to improvise when it came to weights today in a slightly different way, Dave. Well, yeah, I was doing an online exercise class as a lot of people are throwing themselves into at the moment. And uh, yeah, the, 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 the trainer... Freddie just said, look, where are, your, where are your cans of food? And next thing you know, yeah, I've got a couple of cans of food and I, I had to adapt to that situation because I didn't have any small weights uh, in the flat with me. So, yeah, it's this constantly evolving thing when you've got to be really, really creative. And, yeah, there, there we go, James. It's about working with what you've got, no matter what the activity, I think. How did you find lifting the cans? Did it recreate the real gym experience for you? Well, it was minestrone soup. So I, it felt like it wasn't that heavy. I, I don't know. It's a sloppy dumbbell, that. Yeah, it was. It's a but, sloppy dumbbell for Minestrone. But because it's obviously an online class, the, the trainer can't really see how heavy it is or get a sense of it himself. So you just need to, uh, yeah, there's a degree of honesty as well with these online classes too, because they can't quite see how hard you're working. So it's really on you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I did one of those last night for the first time. I actually did quite a wacky one. It was a breathwork class okay. live. So this guy was live streaming it on Instagram. He's an expert in breathwork. And so he live streamed it on Instagram. It had like a thousand people from all around the world joining in. And it was weird because of that. I mean, it was great because this guy normally charges like 40 pounds a class mm. and this was a class for free live streamed in the comfort of your own home well the only comfort you have right now I, I think that that sentence doesn't need completing it's just in comfort the your own home goes without saying but he was live streaming this class on there and it was weird just like you're saying that like he was having to give this 15 minute explanation on the start of how he normally does it when he's with people and giving all these kind of health and safety guidelines, right? Because he knows that he can't be responsible for people yeah. as he would actually in a classroom full of people. So I, I was massively into it. Look, it, it was still an amazing class, really cool experience and really livened up my day to try something completely new while I am stuck indoors. But it is... Not quite like real life, is it? And maybe that is yeah. the thing that we're going to realise about all these activities, right? <laughs> a live stream class is great. It's better than not having a class at all and just sort of being sat on your Jack Jones in the sure, corner with your sure. dumbbells. But it's still not quite like being in a room surrounded by 30 other people doing it or whatever it is. Yeah, doing, no, I think it's a really, it's an overarching theme that, from talking to you and other people and seeing myself that we're kind of getting now that we're all making the best of this bad situation and you can replicate an awful lot of things just from from online and video and stuff but everything in life just feels a little bit not quite as good as you know before we had all these restrictions right i mean even in terms of you get your daily coffee and that's great that they put those restrictions in ca in place but 
it's not quite as easy, is it, as, as, as life before. So, yeah, everything is just that little bit diluted, I think. And uh, that's just something we've got to accept and work with and try and get as close to the real thing as we can over the next few weeks and months. Yeah, completely. And it's a balancing act, isn't it? I feel like with your minestrone dumbbells, it's a game of constantly trying to keep those things in balance. And I think for me personally, the only way I can balance everything being a bit diluted and a bit less good, like you say, than it normally is, is really appreciating the goodness in the really weird, simple things that are coming in that maybe you don't normally get to appreciate and sort of trying to balance out the scales that way. But I'm conscious that was easier even last week than it feels today. And I think that's going to be the challenge for a lot of us moving forward. It's going to be how do we keep appreciating those simple pleasures and keep engineering this novelty into our lives as they are right now because that's the thing that's going to keep us sane really more than anything else. While we're all coming to terms with realising that we're all part-time prisoners in our own homes at least for the time being, I really was more moved than I should have been almost by a new story this week when I found my isolation inspiration. Now, the news has been very focused recently on on all the developments around the world, even before this started affecting us so much here in London. But one other news story, which did still manage to get a bit of press, is probably one of the weirdest news stories of our entire lifetime in a totally different way to the one which is dominating our lives right now. This was the news that Brazilian football legend and once the best player in the world, Ronaldinho, who for those who aren't into football, is estimated to have a net worth of 80 to 100 million pounds. So he's a pre-flipping big deal. He was arrested last week in Paraguay, having flown in from Brazil. And he was arrested because he had a fake passport. Not something you traditionally need as a world-famous footballer to travel anywhere, really. And him and his brother who looked like a fantastically dodgy dealer, like in the mugshots, he just looked like a nailed-on troublemaker. But they were both arrested. They came up with not the best reason for why they had these passports. They were like, someone gave them to us in the airport as a gift. Well, I don't know about you, Dave, but I've rarely been given a passport as a welcome gift. You know, maybe a juice, <laughs> a cold towel, something like yeah, that. But... spray of aftershave. Yeah, yeah, no, you don't get, You don't generally get a, a dodgy duplicate passport, no. Not many passports going. I obviously haven't been going to the right parties where those are in the goodie bags. But anyway, Ronaldinho has now ended up in Paraguayan prison and he celebrated his 40th birthday there last week. And there was this photo shared of him with a barbecue that they were laying on for him and a cake that his fellow inmates in prison had baked for him with like this photo of him playing for Brazil on it and a big 40 in candles. And he had the broadest smile 
in the world on his face. I mean, this smile, if it could be used as a bridge, he'd be able to run over it and escape from prison in Paraguay to like the deepest, darkest Pacific islands. It would bridge him across the world. I've never seen a smile that broad. So he's quickly become my inspiration. If he stuck in prison can be that smiley, I can stay at home and also try to smile that much. And But James, the, the, I mean, the, the other subsector to this story is that, I mean, I recently spent a few months in Argentina and when you saw this story, James, I'm sure just full of enthusiasm and appetite to get great guests on, you sent me a message saying, do you think you can get any way to contact Ronaldinho? And Ronaldinho, as you say, if you're not into football, fine. He, he literally he was the best player in the world once. I mean, he's one of the most recognisable faces in world football. And James, I just love your confidence in me, man. You definitely overestimate my kind of capacity and connections to think that I could somehow get Ronaldinho to send us a WhatsApp voice note from prison, you know, James, which I really, really respect how highly you, you rate me. But I think at some point you're going to realise Dave Windsor's not quite uh, not quite at the level you thought he was. I knew you were well connected out there, Dave, and I could see this kind of being like the football self-isolating equivalent of Frost Nixon, like you getting on the phone and somehow being like, we've got a WhatsApp voice note fresh from prison. The only thing, I mean, this says a lot about how optimistic I was about securing this guest. More, More than I was worried about whether you'd be able to contact him, I was more concerned about what his level of English was like for sort of reflecting <laughs> yeah, on yeah, quite yeah. a serious news matter. That was far more pressing a concern in my mind. We, we have the interview as far as I was concerned. But we're going to keep pushing to bring you the very best guests we can with all sorts of different perspectives, prison or otherwise, on what we're all going through right together now here on London Coronavirus Podcast. So next up, guys, we've got the coronavirus confession. This is the section of the show where people are allowed to come into the confession booth and confess their sins, really. We're living in a time, especially in London, I feel, where there's an awful lot of judgment about the behavioural decisions people make. And this is a safe space, ladies and gentlemen. You can come in, you can offload to myself and James Ware, and there will be no judgment. There will be a discussion afterwards. And we've noticed, uh, James, I think the last couple of days, some confessions have dried up maybe a little bit. So, you know, Mm. what we want to do is we want to offer you the chance to confess, but you do not have to give a real name. And we will even, if you need to, we will blur your voice or we will change your voice slightly so people can't identify you. Hopefully, James, that gives people a a bit more of a, uh, yeah, a a sense of calm and and they can really unleash their confessions on the London Coronavirus podcast. Absolutely. We want to be a safe space in a troubled time. That's the role of this feature. (laughs) And as for today, well, we've got a coronavirus confession from Tony from Berlin. Hi, my name is Tony from Berlin, and this is my Corona confession. I think I watch more Netflix than I work at this stage. Uh, uh, Well, I mean, James, (laughs) we we should say Tony's not his real name, right? 
That was carting honesty, wasn't it? Like, he gets right to the heart of the matter there. And I think he's really touched on something that we've been reflecting on mainly on the show today so far, that suddenly this reality of working from home and this being the setup of our lives for this indefinite period of time, we're starting to realise the reality of that in all its forms, on all sides. And I think people trying to be seriously productive and work at home are realising quite how challenging that may be. I've certainly heard of people who also would probably prefer to remain anonymous, whose more pressing concern is that they've actually nearly finished everything on Netflix. So it's not even that they're watching more Netflix than they're doing work. It's like, what are they going to replace that Netflix with in their working (laughs) schedule? I mean, it would be fascinating to see. And I know lots of people are really giving it their best, even though it can be really complicated transitioning to working from home in some roles in some industries. So I don't want to in any way denigrate the efforts of people out there. But it would be fascinating if there could be some kind of measure of productivity compared to the norm, because it yeah. can't just be Tony who's indulging in no, maybe a no, few no. kind of extracurricular activities in work hours. Let's keep it technical like that. Yeah, I think so. But even, I mean, I looked at, I was I wanted to get back into Friends, James, today, and I was like, mm. I, I considered jumping in at maybe series five or six then i thought what's the point in that this is a series one episode one job i've got the hours so you know i think people are are really committed to starting at the very start and yeah we've all got the time and i actually if i could just squeeze in a little sub confession today james if you don't mind go on then my door is always open to you dave fantastic i did buy something in the supermarket today which i have absolutely no intention of eating that is my sub-coronavirus confession. Well, basically, wow. to, just to explain very quickly, yeah, well, me and James, we were we were talking a little bit about expiration dates the other day, and we, we found some quite funny, as I'm now looking at expiration dates in the supermarket more than I'm actually looking at the product. So I'm basing most of my purchases on how many years these will last, just in case the times get really tough. And uh, I was just in the supermarket this afternoon, I picked up some white tuna in a can, which I, again, I've never, I mean, I've never bought that before. And I saw it ended in 20 2024 and I was just about to put it back and then I thought I don't think in this coronavirus world these days we can really you know what you pick up in a supermarket you have to buy it's kind of like I don't know whether you're into your chess James if you are we should play but if you touch a piece in chess you have to move it right (laughs) and I think I think we've entered that world in the supermarkets like if you pick up something in the supermarket you're buying that thing and then so there I am with just a basket and just that can of white tuna which was 499 which is pretty expensive (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that, that is my little sub-coronavirus confession. I'd like to see the security guard of a supermarket enforcing those rules, like coming over and pointing out to you. I actually saw someone today who was looking through their eggs in an egg box, which seemed a bit too much. week has spawned many new things in our lives not just new coffee pickups new passions for live streams or new ways of lifting weights at home and it's also i guess like all really important events spawned a lot of new words as well 
We had caremongering, which we touched on last week, which was this movement of people spreading care and kindness rather than the fear. We also have the whole debate around the name changing in the media from coronavirus to COVID-19. And following off the back of that, we have a new term that has been making a bid for next year's edition of the dictionary since last weekend. This term is the COVIDiot. I don't know if you'd come across that, Dave. The COVIDiot is somebody who's out there breaching the rules that one should be following to respect what's going on and follow the government regulations in a really ignorant and selfish way. That's the definition of a COVIDia. And I know that there have certainly been lots of people complaining of the presence of far more of these than we'd like to see in London over the past weekend. But I wanted to share a little bit of inspiration on one of the topics that as the regulations move and we all get up to speed with these things has become the most pressing one over the past weekend, right? Which is social distancing. And the regulation being that other than people in your own household who you're going off on your business that you have to do outside with, you should be Mm. keeping two metres between you and everyone else, right? That's the basic breakdown of this rule. And I think it's easy to hear that and think this is preventing us from being able to do all of these fun things. And sure, there's a side to it, which is that, but it's also with very, very good reason as we're seeing. And I've seen some stories that can really show us that social distancing done right doesn't have to rain on your parade, whatever form your parade might take. There was a story that particularly got me as a bit of season of coronavirus romance here from New York, where a couple had gone ahead with their wedding in the streets of New York. They'd had to improvise that as a plan, like we said, we're improvising all things at the moment, even wedding ceremonies. And they decided to go ahead with their wedding with a plan B that was to be a block party, right? But since no one else could be allowed, it was just them in the streets. And they had a friend who could be the efficient of this wedding conducting the ceremony as the celebrant from a fourth floor window so that they were still maintaining all of the distances very comfortably. So see, you can have a social occasion like a wedding and still manage to keep these up. There's some great photos of them celebrating in the street afterwards, closer to home in Buckinghamshire. There was a sweet story today of a group of neighbours who were celebrating an exam success together but apart by bringing chairs out onto the street. So they all brought their chairs out to their front drive and raised a glass together, keeping many metres between them and also in like a pleasingly symmetrical formation. If you had OCD, this would be a very pleasing image. You know, it's it's really nice perspective that they've constructed there to enforce that distance too. And that phrase really resounded with me too, Dave. 
together but apart is maybe the best way that we can make everything work with social distancing, right? That we can have occasions like that where people find this right way of respecting those rules because it is absolutely vital to do so, but also kind of being together at the same time in some way too. Often that's over the internet, but people finding ways to do that while maintaining the distances required as well. Yeah, it's a it's a ch- it's a challenge, James. Of course, and uh, you know what the the COVID phrase. I don't know. Like, I get it. I've also heard coronavirus chump or coronavirus champ. Like, depending on you know how uh, how close you are to people. And yeah, I mean, I said it yesterday. I don't want, don't want to make this too serious, but that there are extenuating circumstances, and you don't always know when you see people closer than that two meter that two meter radius. Also, I think the human eye is quite difficult sometimes when you see people walking down the street to know exactly what that two meters is. Like we're not our eyes not really trained, is it, to deal in meters like that? So it's this odd, odd grey area. But listen, it's fantastic that some people are observing government regulations and uh, yeah, trying to find happiness and connection within the framework of this social distancing era. <laughs> Next up, we've got our global update from around the world. This is where we check in with uh, people just in different corners of the planet to see how they're reacting, to see what the atmosphere is like, to see exactly what they're still allowed to do and not allowed to do as well. And uh, today we've got an update from Piotr from Warsaw. And Piotr is the husband of my friend Magda. And if I could just give him a little shout out, Magda and her brother Jacek was so, so kind to me a few years back when I was spending a lot of time in Poland. And, uh, you know, they just invited me unflinchingly into their social circle. And it's something that I'll never forget. It was very kind. And Piotr gives a really good account here of what's going on in Poland. And James, we haven't really heard much from Poland in the British media because there's so many other nations that have been statistically at least like way more affected right in in italy and what happened in china so poland something's just got a bit uh, unnoticed under the radar because they've managed to control their caseload but uh so it's great to check in here is piotr from warsaw hello this is piotr from warsaw poland brief summary of our situation here we had limitations around announced on 11th of march by the government when we had 30 confirmed infections and no disease Limitations started on 16th of March when we had around 170 confirmed infections and four deceased, unfortunately. So from this day, schools, universities, shopping malls, cinemas, theatres, bars, clubs, everything was locked down. Uh, Restaurants are only available for takeaway or delivery. And most people working in offices were asked to work from home. Only groceries, pharmacies, drugstores are open on a regular basis Uh, in Warsaw. You can really see big changes on the streets. There are no traffic jams, no big crowds anywhere. People walking into shops one at a time or in really limited numbers if the shops are big enough. I would say majority of the population really took it seriously and follow all the medical guidelines. So, you know, this is very promising. Locally, we have some great stories of people doing groceries for senior citizens in their neighborhood. Uh, You can actually find notes on the staircases saying like if you're 60 plus or feel sick and need something from this shop Please call me or knock on my doors. I will do the shopping for you and leave you leave it on the doormat So you don't have to go out. So this is quite brilliant And yeah, I think uh, people are trying to manage this new situation the best they can Also, there are many online activities starting to develop and evolve like dance lessons Um, I don't know, music lessons, drawing lessons, coronavirus podcasts, sports trainings, etc. So yeah, 
the whole lockdown is still bearable, at least for now, I think. So yeah, best regards for you guys and good luck for everyone. Yeah, Piotr there with uh, our global update. Bearable is a good word, James, isn't it? It's just a bit stoic, it's a bit bearable. And uh, yeah, it was nice to hear Piotr sounding upbeat and hearing, it sounds like there was a, a sense of calm and control in Poland, everyone doing what the government's told them to do. And uh, hopefully they can, you know, they can learn from perhaps the mistakes of other nations and, and get through this quicker than most. Yeah, the fact I hadn't heard a smidgen about the situation in Poland, and then you hear yeah. that, Obviously, as well as it sounds like people are coping with the situation and the regulations out there, their lives have also been turned upside down just as ours have and people all around the world. It's just like there, there is no way I, I need a whole new measurement inserted within my brain to be able to even get close to conceiving of the scale of this. And it, yeah. I, I think that's where... I particularly appreciated his contribution from a country we haven't heard much about in the mainstream media coverage of this recently. So before we get on to our coronavirus kindness to wrap up today's pod, I saw a story in the news today, Dave, out of Argentina, where as amazing as it sounds to say Second this, home. you were living and working not much over a week ago. Yep. <laughs> However inconceivable that feels right now. Yep. And this story, you know, wasn't big on the breaking news compared to some of the things that are coming out of different countries around the world, but still seemed really striking. They've made the decision that in Argentina, they're banning walking of dogs for the time being, as part of their response. And I wondered what you made of that, firstly, given that this is a place you're really intimately acquainted with. Sure. I mean, James, I have to say, when I saw that story, I nearly fell off my chair. Because mm. if you've never been to Buenos Aires in Argentina, maybe it's hard to comprehend. You could think of New York has quite a dog-walking culture, a couple of other big cities in the world off the top of my head. But I've never ever seen as many dog walkers as I have in Buenos Aires and actually when I saw that story the first thing I did was text someone I know uh, in the city uh, a girl called Catalina and I, I texted her and I said straight away oh my god things must be really really serious in Argentina because it's like the ultimate measure I mean it is you cannot believe how much they love their dogs there that was told about a week before I left Argentina actually someone said to me you know that it's quite a well-known phrase that in in Buenos Aires and in Argentina, everyone has two of three things, a psychiatrist, a dog and a tattoo. And if you actually poll people, you find it to be really true. We could perhaps go into the reasons behind those three things another time, James. Another time, James. Yeah. But uh, yeah, listen, to, to, to cancel walking your dogs in Argentina, I, I can't even imagine the, the ripples that were felt across society because that is really, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really big step. And perhaps we can touch base actually with someone in Argentina to find out more about that and due course. But I guess... You know, we, we, we've we touched on this very slightly about what eventually the restrictions are going to be. Sure. And, it, and it strikes me as you should always be able to walk your dog and you should always be able to go for a run because if you're 
prohibiting people from doing those things. And both of those things, by the way, can definitely be achieved whilst maintaining social distancing. I would have thought, you know, but uh, but it, it does it it does raise a very interesting issue as to what morally can you still do or not do. I mean, can you envisage, James? I know you're you're a you're a keen runner and. And, and likewise, sometimes for me, can you envisage a time in London where someone says to you, you cannot go for a jog? I mean, do you think we'll get to that point? I mean, that seems like next level intense, doesn't it? I've been hearing that apparently in France or in parts of France anyway, at the moment, the regulations are so strict that if you're going out to exercise and that's what you've ticked on your form, you still can't be more than a certain distance of like a mile from your registered address. So they're like narrowing the net in terms of what you can do with that. I think it's a really, really tricky topic because yes, people are willing to do and quite rightly so within reason almost anything in terms of the impact of their daily lives to protect other people right and that's Mm. where this common effort here in other countries all around the world is coming from and it's what it's motivated by but i also think that that there is some invisible line there right and if you cross that line for too long I, I worry about the effect that will have on people and how they will react and I think something like being able to walk your dog or being able to go for a run where you are fully respecting the social distancing rules yeah and all of the scientific advice that's gone into those which those guidelines haven't come out of thin air right As much as it may feel like they have to some people, they've come from an understanding of how we can prevent the spreading of the virus as much as possible. And I feel that like those activities that are really key to people's well-being and mental health, that they can do whilst respecting those rules and in a way which following what we're being told is safe seems to be safe. I think when you start drawing the line through those, you get into some really murky waters. Like I know, yeah, I know. I have a friend of mine who. This is a little deeper than we usually care to go on the London Coronavirus podcast, but I like it, James. I mean, it is. There's such big issues you almost don't even want to scratch the surface of them, do you? Because you're because you're then asking fundamental questions about liberty and, and human rights. Yeah, yeah, it gets really deep really quick, doesn't it? And yeah. I certainly hope that in London, in practical terms, we're not going to get to a stage where we're going to be really seriously confronted by crossing those. It certainly feels like for the time being, the feeling is that if people can respect the rules, that there's a real desire to not have to get close to crossing those boundaries Mm. and on a slightly lighter side of picking up from (laughs) your story Dave as we get towards the warm and fuzzy end to the show that is intended to be coronavirus kindness it's amazing how dogs have become a part of this story all around the world they have a knack of just taking over all new stories don't they they always steal the show (laughs) 
when there are elections here in the UK with dogs at polling stations. Somehow they've stolen the show. Now there have been viral posts of dogs with people working from home and posting photos of their dogs. And I read a particularly adorable story last week, which is a happier news story for the dog lovers out there in these tough times, which was about a dog who was so happy that everyone in its household was now around the whole time with working from home, that it wagged its tail so much upon realisation of this. Obviously, bless it, it had been waiting a lifetime to have everyone around the whole time. It was so excited that it wagged its tail so much that it actually sprained its tail. So (laughs) there is like a dangerous level of happiness for dogs right now too, as well as there being tough restrictions for dogs. I I mean, dogs dogs must be so happy right now, right? I mean, most of them are being walked way more and way more elaborate walks than they got before. Adventures to suggest because people are just desperate, you know, they can't do anything. So it going for a walk is uh, is one freedom we've still got. So yeah, dogs must be uh, must be slightly confused at all these long walks <laughs> in the countryside they're getting. Yeah, real remix to the routine for the dogs. <laughs> Maybe a slightly better routine remix than we've managed to drop into our own weeks. <laughs> So now it's that time of the pod where we try and wrap the day in some bubble wrap and throw a quilted blanket on top, as we call it a day here at London Coronavirus Podcast. It's time for Coronavirus Kindness. And today, there have been, I've got to say, it's really challenging, actually, and maybe this is the best reflection I could give. It's actually really challenging every day to narrow this down to a story or two because there are Fantastic. so many incredible displays of kindness and compassion which are coming out of this, even just in London and the UK, let alone around the world. So I think that that's something we all need to keep reminding ourselves of and opening our eyes to. But... If I had to choose one story, which I did today, there was only one real contender. And today's comes from a, to us from Northern Ireland, where some Tesco staff in a local store were opening the store for a special hour just for NHS workers. Lots of supermarkets are now doing this, and it's obviously a really important initiative. But they didn't just give them a special hour in the sense that they were the only ones allowed to shop there. They gave them a special hour in a broader sense too, by applauding them into the store as they entered and handing them all a bouquet of flowers as well while they set out on their shopping. And it's a really small thing that comes from one of the topics that's really dominated this past week, hasn't it, Dave? Supermarkets. But I thought that how small this was made it just a really touching way of even just supermarket workers who have been heroes in their own way, stepping up to the plate, as we've said before in past week, paying tribute to the real, real heroes right now, anyone who's working on the front line of this in the NHS. And 
I know we always try to keep the pod positive, covering some broader stories that might come up from this. But I think this is one thing that we and everyone else are really clear on, that these are the real, real heroes here and the people who are stepping up in a way that's unimaginable to most of us right now. And anything we see, which is even the slightest way of showing our thanks to them over the coming days, weeks, months, is just going to become more and more important. I know that there's some talk on social media of a round of applause coming up Mm -hmm. on Friday evening this week. We'll bring more details of that later in the week. But anything we can do that's even just a small reflection of our gratitude to those people who are putting the most into this and taking the biggest risks to try and save lives out there is truly valuable right now, isn't it? Hear, hear. Well, James, we end every daily podcast with a little quote, which hopefully you will take something from. And yesterday we spoke about, uh, well, we had both of our mums on the podcast on Mothering Sunday. Mm. And we, we both reflected on what they had to say and their advice and their thoughts on the current situation from a different generation to ourselves. And one thing that struck me was just how calm both of them were. And I think mm. calmness in a crisis and just having your mind quite calm is so, so important. I've already seen this week just people snapping at each other and people properly you know, really, really struggling to stay calm. And it is understandable why. And uh, so, yeah, this quote I I read this morning in the the newspaper. And and, uh, yeah, here we go. It's set peace of mind as your highest goal and organise your life around it. (laughs) 